0: Looking forward for the opportunity to preach, thankful for it. Um, about 50 weeks ago, a uh, pastor let me preach, and I asked him if I could just preach through the book of Haggai, and he said yes. So, this will be the fifth message out of the book of Haggai, and it's taken 50 weeks to do it. Uh Obviously, it's you know about five times in those 50 weeks I've had the opportunity to preach, so I'm just thankful for the times that I do get to. One of the students texted me uh, this afternoon and said, I got to church a half an hour early to find the book of Haggai so I didn't have to fumble through <laughs> in the service. Yeah, He's a second semester senior, too, and so... I'm going to need to reevaluate some things here. <laughs> no, I, I, really, I have thoroughly enjoyed the, the book of Haggai and... And um, I'm looking forward to, to finishing it up here uh, this evening. So if you would stand and turn to the book of Haggai, and, and we're going to be in uh, chapter 2. And we'll be in verse number 20, just going to take those last four verses. The last message in this book of Haggai. So Haggai chapter 2, and verse number 20. The Bible says this. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the fourth and 20th day of the month, saying, speak unto Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth and I will overthrow the kingdoms and I will destroy uh, the strength of the kingdoms of heaven. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. So I feel like God's going to do something here. I feel like it's going to be Him that does it. Just in a read of the text, the reading of the text, that God is going to do something. And so I'm going to trust the the Lord's going to bless the reading of the word. You can be seated, and we'll get started here in the message. So um, I think many here would say or would agree that uh, George Washington was probably one of the greatest leaders in American history. I'm sure there's others that you could put at that level, but I, I would say many would say that. But uh, George Washington was a man who bore many uh, heavy burdens. He had a lot of them. I mean, prior to him coming on as the general of the Continental uh, Army, he. He never really led a big army to that up to this point in time. So he's thrown into this situation where that he hasn't been before. And, you know, he he would go into battles and some he would win, obviously some he would lose. And and one of them in 1776 in New York, it would almost take out him and his entire army. He, He almost lost it all. And that's a that's a heavy burden when you think of the people that that are under your care and under your trust. In, in 1777, the, the British army captured the city of Philadelphia where they were there and they were having battles. And, and after the British took that city, George Washington and his army retreated about 25 miles northeast to a city called uh, Valley Forge. And many are familiar with where that is. And it was customary in that time to really stop the, the battles and the fighting. And there is in, uh, George Washington with his army and they're there in the cold winter months of the northeast. And we got a taste of what it's like here recently, but that's just the tip of the iceberg when you're talking about the Northeast. And so, when these men got to uh, Valley Forge, they started to build these huts that were about 16 to, by 14 huts, and they they fit about 12 different men and uh, 12 men in one. And they, you know, they weren't uh, heated, insulated, that whole deal. They didn't even have a door. They had a sheet that they would put across the opening that that would be some sort of cover for the cold. Um, it, food was scarce, the conditions were harsh, harsh and, and the housing pretty much non-existent. And that food that was scarce, there was food in the surrounding areas, but because of the the devaluation of the continental currency, the farmers that were in that area were more likely to sell their food to the British Army because they had a currency that was of value. And, you know, so... That was a, a problem. It said that there's two to 3,000 men that died in that time just due to, diz- due to disease only. Uh, John Adams said, uh, smallpox is 10 times more terrible than the British, Canadians, and Indians together. Disease took men out. and So that supply chain was an, is- it was an issue. They, they were, had a shortages of shoes and, and shirts and blankets and, and gunpowder. And like I said, the food in the surrounding area. And so the Continental Army couldn't really buy the food. And the best they could do was offer them an IOU from the government. And you know if you get an IOU from the government, it is yours. Count it. It's in the bank. And you can understand why they would be a little leery. And so you have George Washington, who who has the burden of taking care of all of these people and their needs and their food and their clothing and, and guns and gunpowder and housing and, and the smallpox that's come through and the disease. And, and, and when they have a problem, they're looking to him to solve it. It's his burden. And not to mention the juggernaut of a British army that's looming at every turn. And they're there. And, and the man has to deal with the burden of taking care of his people and the, the burden of, of uh, getting together a master plan to be able to, to fight the British army that, that outnumbered them and they were out, uh, out-trained and they had actually boots on their feet and guns in their, in their arms. And he had this responsibility, this burden to take care of these people. You can imagine that the burdens that he faced were heavy. And I can just say, that's, that's just the burden of leadership. Many of you would remember the, the burden of, of George Bush when he, that he faced on, on 9-11. And while he was visiting a, a class there in Sarasota, and he's dealing with the class, and one of his aides came over and whispered in his ear and said, you know, a, a, a plane has struck one of the towers, and they gave him some information that they, that they thought was accurate. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was, they thought it was a little prop plane, from as I understand it. And so they thought, man, that's a horrible accident. Uh, but he kept going with the class. And a, a few minutes later, another aide comes by and whispers in his ear and, and tells him another plane has struck the other tower, and it's worse than we thought. And America is under attack. And the cameras were rolling, and pictures were being taken. And all of you who, who have seen that video, you could see the weight of the world on his shoulders. You see it. And not wanting to get up and, and, and run out and scare the, the children. Uh, he, he sat there, but you could just see it. You could see it in his face as the, as the time went along and the, the photographers and the, the cameramen they all started to get the news and they started to find out this is what's going on and they're, so they're honing in on him and you can see it in his eyes. This burden has been, has been put upon him and he's probably thinking, who did this? I want to know and what about my people? I'm, it's my job as the president to, to take care of these people. And so he's got the burden of these people now who are, are passed away and, and their families... And then making an enemy pay, which he did. And that is a, a burden. There's a unique burden that comes with leadership. Zerubbabel, he had a unique burden while leading God's people. He, God, in this passage, he speaks directly to Zerubbabel. Uh, he had he had talked to in the first uh, three four messages that he addressed them. He had talked to Zerubbabel. He had talked to Joshua, and he had talked to the remnant of the people. and He and he had dealt with all three of these groups of people. But for this time, this time, he hones in on Zerubbabel. Why did he hone in on him? It's because Zerubbabel was the man. He was the leader. He was the governor. He he was appointed by by uh, the, by the. Persia, he was there, but yet he had the lineage of David, and so they probably said, well, he's the prince, so let's put him over in charge of the city of Jerusalem and the, and the Jewish people, and, and, and this man, Zerubbabel, had the burden of leading God's people. Well, what are those burdens? Well, you could go back to chapter 1, and, and you could you could find that he is dealing with lethargic people. He is dealing with apathetic people who have misplaced priorities. And, 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 and you maybe remember 50 weeks ago? Maybe you don't, so I'll give you a little bit of a, a background, okay? And so there he is and, and Israel has come back in, into the city of Jerusalem and they started to lay, they, they lay the foundation. Everyone was excited and happy and joyful for what God was doing. And then you know they got lethargic. They, they ran into some, some, some difficulties and some problems and people came in and said, you can't build the house. And the king got involved and he said, you can't build the house. And so they were all too willing to stop God's work. And so they shifted their attention from, from God's house and they shifted it to their own houses and they started to, to build these houses. And, and then this... Mandate was lifted and they could go back and build, build God's house once again, but, but they didn't want to. They just sat there, and they were like, well, yeah, it's not, now's not the time, and the, the, it, it's not the season, and the, the, the climate's not right, the p- political climate's not right, the money's not there. You know, it's just not the right time, and God sent his prophet Haggai, and he came in and said, is it time for you, O ye, to build your houses, and God's house lie waste? And he really just, he shook the people up, and he was dealing with, Zerubbabel had been dealing with a lethargic, apathetic people who had misplaced priorities. It's a burden. It's a burden to deal with people who don't want to obey. Well, they got things right, didn't they? We could go back and, and finish chapter one. He, he got things right, and they started to do the work, and they're there, and they're they're building the temple. And and in and, and chapter two, and, and they see that 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 this this uh, discouragement has crept into the to the Jewish people, and there was some older generation that was there, and they were saying, Look at the foundation, look how small it is, and they had seen Solomon's temple in all its glory, and they were weeping and crying with, with the size and how insignificant it was and how little it looked, and there was other people that were rejoicing. Well, the 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 discouragement that these men were, were pushing off on them kind of took root in the hearts of the, of the Jewish people and there was discouragement that, that crept into their hearts and God says, who, who among you have seen this building, the Solomon's Temple, and, and how do you see it now? Is it to you as nothing? And these people were discouraged. And God came in, he sent Haggai back in there to do his work and, and got him back on track and got him working, but listen, he, he was dealing with a people that were prone to wander. Prone to be discouraged. That's a burden. To set the spiritual trajectory of a people and to keep them in line and to make sure that they're not going this way, to make sure they're not going that way, to make sure that they're staying in line in loving God and doing God's work, that's a burden, friend. And there, he had the responsibility to provide for all the people. And they're here just in chapter 2, verses 10 through uh, 19. They're, they're dealing with the fact that they don't have food and, 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 and the, the, the seed is not in the barn. They have no food for the winter that is approaching and they're working on God's house. They're doing God's work, but there's no seed in the barn. They have no food and they don't know where they're going to get, gonna get their, their food from. And, and so God sends Haggai back in. And he starts to deal with them there and he says, I want you to remember why you're in this place. And he says you're in this place because of your sin because you were on your own agenda and you were on God's agenda. And, and he started to tell him, like, the reason you're there is because you were sowing with dirty hands and you were defiled. And so you would sow much and you would bring in little and, 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 you, and you, would, you would drink, but you were never filled and you would, you would eat, but, but you were always hungry and you were clothed, but you were always cold. And it's like when you would, when you would get the money from your crops, you would put it into a bag and, and you would take it home and there was holes in there. And God says, because I put the holes there. I'm the one that did it. And you you would get your harvest and you would reap, reap your harvest and you expected this much and then you had that much. And you'd go to the wine press and you expected this much and you had that much. And God says, I'm the one that did it. I blew upon it. I'm the one that did to you, that did that to you. And then he would say, Yes, I understand that there's no food, no seed in the barn, and that you have no food, but I'm gonna take care of you. But but let's be honest with you: when people were hungry, who did they go to? Zerubbabel. He was the leader, he's the guy. And then, of course, he had the burden that came with building the temple. Now, I've never been involved in a building program, but I've heard from the staff, it's not fun. (laughs) It's a burden. And and there he is. When when there's a problem, do you know who they came to? Zerubbabel. And and, and when they needed to take up an offering because the funds were running low, they came to Zerubbabel. Um, When they needed to put in more hours, you know who they came to. When there was a problem, when two men, I mean, come on, you get get a bunch of guys with with hammers and saws together who know everything? (laughs) There's going to be some fighting. And there he is trying to work a plan and saying, okay, this week, this is what we got to get done. And someone comes up to him and says, Yeah, but these two guys are fighting. He's like, My soul, put this guy on the north side, put that guy on the south side. And let's get back to work. And he's trying to devise a plan with this building program that they're dealing with. He's trying to put God's house together. And and, and wait, not only was he dealing with the internal care of, of the Jewish people, because he was. He wanted to care for their souls and he wanted to make sure they were fed and they were clothed and they had everything they needed. But let's not forget that there was a there were enemies out there. All around them. And he had the care for, for these people because, I mean, when they, when they came back to Jerusalem, they had no army. They had no weapons. They had no wall of protection. And they were uh, liable to be attacked at any moment. He had the burden of an external threat, an enemy. Pretty confident he experienced some Criticism. That's just normal in leadership. I mean, you're given a a responsibility to do, mark it down, somebody's going to be able to do it way better than you. It's just natural, unfortunately, and I don't think it's spirit-filled natural. I think it's flesh na- natural. But I, I, I'm pretty confident that we're talking about a, a stiff-necked people here. These are still the people that came out of, Israel, out of Egypt. And they're still the people that criticized Moses. They're still the people that criticized all the prophets. These are still the same people. And they have the same flesh. And I guarantee you, that is a burden. Let alone... He was among a small community there. I mean, really, 50,000 people. We're talking about Israel that was once a a great nation and a a great powerhouse in the world. And now there's 50-some thousand people that are probably there. And he's probably thinking in in his own heart, listen, I, I I I am a king of Israel, rightfully by God. And I am appointed by a Persian king. And I am among this small community. What I'm doing seems to be so small and insignificant and i can imagine that in his own heart he's probably thinking what is the use burden did you know he had a family to lead that's a burden it's a heavy one i mean he, we have sons of his that we can say from lineages and genealogies we know that he he had children that is a burden and not to mention the whole time that he's trying to care for the spiritual uh, uh, side of these people and he's trying to protect them from the enemy and, he, and, he, and he's dealing with, with, uh, with these insignificant thoughts and what he's doing and the criticism and all that's going on. Can I remind you something? That he was part of the problem. Because for 16 years when all the remnant of Israel was doing nothing yet he was doing nothing. I mean, he may have said a few things here and there, but let's be honest with you. He didn't come in with a fire The Haggai came in because he could have laid it down to him and he could have told, but no, he was lethargic and he was apathetic and he had misplaced priorities like everybody else. What I'm trying to say is he had flesh like everybody else. And he's trying to take care of God's people and make sure they're taking uh, taken care of. him. the whole time, he's trying to feed his own soul and to make sure that he's right for God. It is a burden to take care of people. It is a burden to do God's work. It is a burden just to take care of our own wicked souls. And he had all of that on him. We're talking about a, a man who faced some unique burdens. Now... Um, I don't know. If we do, you can tell me, but I'm not sure that in the church here that we have a bunch of CEOs and CFOs and majority shareholders. I don't I don't know that we do. Maybe we do. I know we've got some leaders in here for sure, but I, I don't I don't think in that sense that this church is filled with those sorts of people. But they are filled with fathers and husbands. Leaders of homes. And I say fathers and husbands and leaders of homes. And because I, I say that, I, I understand that it's not popular what I'm about to say, but fathers are the leaders of the homes. Yes, and that doesn't mean that it's that a, that a wife or a woman is of any less importance because she fulfills her role. No, God has a plan and God has a purpose. These aren't my words. These are, these are God's words. And he says that, that the man is the leader of the home. If you were to place a, a, a man and, and a wife and the, and the kids, and you were to ask God, God, who's more important? God would say, Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Every person is of, of, of equal importance, but, but mark it down, friend. God has specific roles for each gender. Yeah, I feel good. Gender. <laughs> he does. And, and it's the role of the man to lead the home and it's, it's, it's one of the roles of the wife is, is to s- submit herself because that is still a Bible word. It's, it's a submit herself to her, to her husband. Now, don't, don't think I'm standing up here and, I, and, and don't get confused that when I say the man is to be the leader of the home that you're supposed to come around saying, woman, you need to submit to me. You need to do right. I don't, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where God says, God says to his man, man, you make her submit. <laughs> I don't see it. I do hear him speak to the ladies and say, Submit yourself unto your own husbands. So I don't think it's the role of the man to get all all mad and angry and say, You stepped out of line. You need to get yourself under my my authority. (laughs) That's not there. But nevertheless, what I do see is that God has placed men as the leader of the home. And you can't punt that ball. You can't. You can't punt that ball to the public school system. You can't punt that ball to the church. You you can't punt that ball to your wife. That is your ball. And you take ownership of it. It's your responsibility. There are burdens that come when one is a leader of a home. I mean, you're leading a flawed people. You are. Your kids get out of line. You got to have the wisdom to get them back in line. And your wife gets out of line, and that's all I'm saying. (laughs) Said yours, not mine. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, they're prone to wander. They are prone to wander. And you're the leader of the home. Well, it's hard. Yeah, it's a burden. But you are the leader of the home. You, you have the burden to, to lead your family to love God and love his work. Trying to keep the, your finger on the pulse of your wife's spiritual life. I, I really think that that's a responsibility. And I'm not sitting there, I'm not saying that, you, did you read your Bible today? I'm not saying that. I, I, I'm just saying you got you to keep your finger on the pulse of your wife's spiritual life. And to make sure that these thoughts aren't getting into her mind because you're to love her and you're to care for her and you're to shepherd her well that's hard it's a burden yeah it's a burden you you are to look into the heart of your child and to find out if, if something is pulling them this direction or pulling them that direction you're to find you're, you're it's your job to find out who are they spending time with are they spending time with with friends or are, are they spending time with God are they in the bible do they have a heart for God or do they have a heart for money? Do they have a heart for God or do they care more about sports? Fathers, that is your responsibility. You are the leader. And it's a burden. Yeah. and You have the responsibility to, to make sure that your family is taken care of physically. There's food that needs to be put on the table. There are clothes that need to be purchased. Because kids grow and grow and grow. It's like all they do and eat. (laughs) I mean, there's doctor bills that need to be paid. There's there's school bills. There's car bills. And that is your responsibility. I'm thankful I believe in here. We got some hard working men. We do. I'm confident of that. Not only are you to care for your family inside of the walls of the house, your spiritual life and all that, but you are to make sure that you protect your family from the onslaught of the enemy. And I know what it's like sometimes to feel defenseless. Feel defenseless. You know, no weapons, no wall of protection. And we can feel def- defenseless in trying to protect our family from the world that's encroaching upon us and getting more and more aggressive. Right. Trying to tell children that you can be born a man and, 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 and be a woman or be, be, a, be born a woman and then cut your hair like a man and it makes you a man, however you feel. I mean, one of the first things that Jay and I went, went through was, was Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, You are a boy. That's it. I think he's got it. I mean, you send your children to school and they come back with this weird thinking. I'm talking about Christian school. And they take on the mindsets of the culture and the social media and the news and the internet and, and all of these things that are, that are coming at your children. I'm just saying, there's an onslaught. And, and, and I'm telling you, you have to be careful. You have to be very mindful of, of, of what is taking place on your child's phone. You have to be. Because I'm telling you, it's a, it's, a, it's a mess. Social media is a mess. Never talk to a college-age person who said they got started with pornography when they were in college. Always when they're in high school. And yet, we can just throw the walls down, give them a phone that says unrestricted access in the settings. We can't do that. I I don't know. I'm not making friends with the youth, that's for sure. But it's not right. Because there are forces at work that are after your children. And they're after, sir, your wife. And they will play on her emotions. And they will do whatever it takes. And so we have to be careful to guard our family from the onslaught which is our our, our culture. And it's hard. It's a burden. And there are times, I would imagine, that you are sitting back and you're saying, man, I'm a leader of a home. I have a wife and two kids. This seems insignificant. Why am I doing what, am I do- what I'm doing? Why am I giving all this attention to them? It just, it's really not that big of a deal. Why can't I just turn them over? Let them do what they want. because I just feel so insignificant. Probably face criticism once in, a to- once in a while as the father of a home, do you not? Dad! That was my best teenager impersonation. I promise I won't do that again. Dad, come on. Let me. Can I just wear. Can I just. Let me please. Dad, this isn't fair. (laughs) That was actually pretty natural, I think. (laughs) You face some criticism, it's a burden, it's heavy. And the whole time that, sir, that you are attempting to take care of your family, that you are are, are trying to guard their spiritual life, and and you're supposed to take care of them physically, and you're putting food on the table, and and you're doing all of this, you are doing it when you are part of the problem. Let's be honest, man. We got flesh just like our wives and just like our kids. I'm telling you, we have flesh like anybody else. And the whole time that we are attempting to lead people, we have to make sure that we are nurturing our own souls. We are part of the problem. Yes, sir. And nurturing ourselves is a burden. And I understand here, too, that there are some single mothers and you're facing the unique burden of, of being both mom and dad in the home. That is a burden that I am totally unaware of. But I know God knows about it. And I know that there are men who are leaders in our community and businesses around our city. And you face some unique burdens. I mean, I, I, I don't understand how, how, how it all works. I, I feel like sometimes I'm so spoiled to be here in the office where I'm, I'm around the environment that, that I am around. I'm, I work for a gracious pastor who's so kind and loving and has never told me to do something contrary to what God would tell me to do. You do. That's a burden. I mean, so you're going to have to go into the office and you might be in middle management where you have people underneath you you have bosses above you and your boss above you is going to tell you to do something that is contrary to the word of God. And you've got people underneath you that are angry and they don't like you and they don't want you there and they're going to try to set you at odds with your God or with your boss. Kind of like Daniel when they came into Daniel and they set Daniel at odds with God. And they said, no man shall pray unto any God but you, king. The king signed the decree, off it went. Daniel kicks open the windows and the doors and he gets straight down and prays. And the only way they could get him is if they could, they could get him with, uh, at odds with his God. And yet he stayed faithful. And he got tossed in the lion's den for it, friend. It's a burden. And it's a burden unlike I'm aware of. And I, and I know that there are people that are after you. Come on, we live in a world that is willing to climb on, over, and through people to get to the top. And you are nothing but a stepping stool. And they may not like you, and they may not like your faith, and they may not like your God, and they may not like what you think or what you say, and so they might be after you, friend. That's a burden. And I know that it happens. <clears throat> and I, I know that we have an unusual amount of people that are in full-time ministry here in this auditorium. You, you bring in a Bible college, and you have a, a staff at, at, at Heartland Baptist Bible College that, that, that comes in here. I, I'm just saying that there is a unique burden that comes when you are in ministry. And there's a target on your back already as a believer. But I can tell you, when you have some sort of authority, especially over people like this, who are so influential, the target on your back is getting bigger and bigger. And it's a burden. And you have to make decisions that the sheep don't like. And the sheep like to headbutt. The sheep like to talk about you behind your back. I'm I'm just saying, there's burdens that come with ministry. And the nature of the burden of leadership can feel very, very lonely. It can. But God did not uh, just leave Zerubbabel to deal with all of these burdens by himself. I really think this this text, what, what, what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with God coming alongside his man. And coming alongside of his, his, his leader to comfort him. Because God says here, he goes from talking to these three groups of people, then these three groups of people, and these three groups of people. And then it's like he hones in on the leader. And he said, he says, Zerubbabel, I have not forgotten about you. And the Bible says that he spoke, God spoke to Haggai. and says, speak unto Zerubbabel. I know the burdens that he's facing. And I have something to say to comfort the man in leadership. I know your burdens, Zerubbabel. And so God comforted him. So what did God say to comfort Zerubbabel when the burdens of life had just weighed him down? Why don't you look at uh, verse number 21. He says this. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of, of, the heaven, of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and the riders shall come down, every one by the sword and his brother. He, he, he says this basically to him. Uh, listen, this, this is the time that, that God is... is is, is talking about a time that is future. And it's there when, when all the nations surround uh, uh, Israel and they're going to they're gonna wipe Israel out. And Jesus Christ comes in and he fights this battle for him. It's, it's the battle of Armageddon. He's going to throw the devil and he's going to throw his prophet in, into uh, the pit. And there Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. And Jesus is going to deal with all of those who oppose his people. And what he's saying to, I believe, to Zerubbabel, I will deal with all of those who oppose you. No, I will deal with all of those who oppose you. And There he is and he's, he's there in the city and he's got people that are after him and an, an army that's looming and no, and no wall of protection and he knows that people don't like them and, and people don't want them there and he's got the burden of protecting these people and he says, listen to me, Zerubbabel, you don't have to worry about the protection of your people because I will deal with all of those people who oppose you. And I just want to say that God's going to deal with the forces that oppose you. And it may not be in our time and it may not be in our way, but there is coming a time in the future that that can be a present day encouragement that God is going to deal with all the forces that are attacking your home. And he knows the forces that are at work to uh, destroy your family. And And he knows how to deal with them. And he's going to do it. And then he says this. Verse number 23. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel. He, he, that word servant, it's, it's a word that's reserved for men like Moses and, and, and men like David. And he's, he's basically saying, and then he calls him the son of Shealtiel. Now, the son of Shealtiel is the son of Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin was the, the last king to sit on the throne. And so we're talking about this man is in the line of David and, he, and he, he's identifying that. And he says, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, of, uh, saith the Lord I will make thee, As a signet. As a signet. Now, uh, a signet. Is something that a, that a king would, he would write a document, an official document, and he would take, take it and they, and they would set it before the king and the king would read it and then he would say, yes, that is what I said. And so they would seal the letter and they would drop wax or clay on it and they would take the signet. Oftentimes it was a ring. Sometimes they would wear it around the arm. Sometimes they would wear it around the neck and it would, it would rest on their chest. And other times it would be a ring and they'd, they'd have it on their fist and they would say, yes, that is what I said and let me seal this and make this an official document. And the king's seal would be on it. And you remember the example of, of Mordecai when he's there in the book of Esther, when Haman's trying to destroy, he's trying to destroy Israel, and, and God turns the tables on him, and there he, he, he God takes his life, because he's, he's uh, trying to kill the, the nation of Israel. And the king takes the ring off of Haman. And oftentimes they would give it to other people. But he took the ring off of Haman. And he gave it to Mordecai. And Mordecai wrote a letter. And he said, here's, here's what I'm thinking, king. I, I want to go and I'm going to send this letter to all the providences in, in your kingdom. And I want you to, I want you to agree to it. That, that Israel can defend themselves. And they can fight for their lives. And then they can spoil those who are their enemies. The king looked at it and he said, I like it. It's an official document. And so what he says here, when he says it's a signet, he says, he he says, ah, and will make thee as a signet. I think he's saying this. Zerubbabel, you are an important part of my official purposes. I have a plan for your life. And you might think it's insignificant. And you think it's this small community that you're taking care of. But what you need to understand is that you are a part of my official purposes. And you can go to Matthew chapter 1. You can go to Luke chapter 3. And do you know what you'll find? You'll find the names are Zerubbabel in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God had a purpose for him. Well, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Nevertheless, it was a link in the chain to bring about our Savior. It's not insignificant. And I, and I want to say this. Father, leaders of the home... You are a part of God's official purposes. You are the head of the home. And you are supposed to take care of your family. And men that are, are, are in the business world and you're, and you're working and you're, you're, you're trying to serve the Lord and God has placed you. No, no, God has placed you there. I believe God has placed men in this church in, in strategic locations because he has a plan for your life and he wants to use you and you are a part of his official purposes. And really what God is trying to say to, to, to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, here's what you need to understand. That I want to comfort you because when the burdens of leadership weigh you down, here's what I want you to understand. You will not have to bear those burdens alone. I am with you. And that's what he says to him. He says, he says I am with you. So, so what? Get back to work. That's what he's been dealing with in the entire book. They, the people stray, and God says, get back to work. And they get discouraged, and he says, get back to work. And then they don't have any food, and he says, get back to work. And here's the rubble and he's dealing with all of these problems and these burdens. And God, and God sees it in his heart. He, he probably never voiced it. He didn't know that it was there, but God looked at the burden of his leader, and he said, that man needs some encouragement. And what I want him to know is that when he goes through the burdens of life, what he needs to understand is that he is not going to go through it by himself. I'm going to bear that burden with you. And so God gets underneath his leader. And they yoke up together. And God takes him through it. So Zerubbabel, get back to the work on the house. Build the temple. And he did. You go to Ezra chapter 6, what you'll find is that is that the, the house was built and it was an exciting time. And and he completed the work. He finished the work that God had called him to do. Praise the Lord. He finished his purpose. I just wonder if there are people that are here that are burdened down with leadership. And maybe you didn't even see the, the being a father as a role of leadership, but it is. And it's important. Now, I I would say that it's, it's important, more important than any CEO or CFO. If you have in your in your care, your family, your children, the future members of this church are in your hands. Now, I just wonder if there are some people here that you're burdened down with the cares of this world and the, and the, the things that have, have, put on, have been put on your plate, the struggles of being a parent, the struggles of taking care of your family financially and spiritually, and the, the struggles that take place in your own flesh, and you're burdened down. Well, God has some comfort for you, friend. What he wants you to know is that when you are burdened down with the cares of life, you're not going to go through it alone. He's going to do it with you. God's leaders never bear their burden alone. God's Christians never bear their burdens alone. So be encouraged. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Get back to work. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, right? no, it's hard. I understand that we all have burdens. They're all, they're all heavy and they all weigh us down. But what I think God is trying to say to his people is that you need to get back to work. And maybe some here have slipped in their parenting. I know what it's like. Maybe there's things allowed in the home that never once were allowed in the home. Get back to work. Maybe you're watching things that you never used to watch. Get back to work. Maybe you were once serving here at Southwest Baptist Church and you were doing great things and COVID happened and everything just kind of died out and there you are, kind of stagnant now. Can I tell you something? Get back to work. You are a part of God's official purposes. (laughs) Let's get back to work. Okay? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I I do wonder if there are people here that are struggling with the, the burdens of leadership in your home or at work or wherever it might be, I, I, I want to encourage you, just like I feel God encouraged Zerubbabel, that, friend, if you are burdened down with the cares of life and the things that you are dealing with through the family and through work or whatever burden you're might facing, God will not let you go through that alone. So I'm going to have a word of prayer and the invitation can begin. Father, I, I sure am thankful for your word. Lord, I do ask that you'd comfort your people here this, this evening, and God, that you'd help us to respond to your word. And if there's some people that are stagnant or, or, or away from you when it comes to the home or when it comes to the, the church, I ask, God, that you'd bring them, back, bring them back to the place where you'd have them to be, Lord. And we know that you'll help along the way. And we'll give you thanks, God, for, the, for all that you do in the invitation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can stand and turn to hymn number 251, Jesus' is Calling.